I view today and this season and as we transition into Advent as an actual, real pivot moment. Pivot moment meaning we have been doing good things. We've been doing things. We've been up to stuff. And we just, just, just kind of consider the last 14 months. We've had two block parties. They've gone extremely well. Um, we've had two trunk or treats. Those both looked different, but they both went well. We were outside for the first one, inside for the second, but we were able to distribute grams of sugar. Praise the Lord. And we've had two Thanksgiving giveaways, and both of those have looked different too. Last year, we partnered with two other churches. This year, it was Reachway and, and our extended family. Um, both years, we gave away 75 bags or boxes of food to people in this neighborhood. Um, that's just one bullet point. Another bullet point would be that um, the group that we started with is different than the group that we have now, which is okay, first of all. It's important for new congregations like us to name those things, is that there are these weird, uncomfortable tensions that we experience just by the very nature that we are a new church. Every single new church experiences the things that we've experienced, um, regardless of where they are in the world, <laughs> regardless of what they look like and sound like, regardless of what they're called, regardless of what they do week in and week out. Every church, it's because, you, it's, it's because people are people, <laughs> and, and, and we experience these things. Um, it, of course, it's way easier to do life isolated, right? Because there's no outside factors. But when we choose to do community together, we reap the benefits, but there are, there are tensions that result. Um, slowly but surely, we talked about this earlier, we are making connections with our neighborhood. Slowly but surely, people down the street, across the neighborhood, down the block, two blocks over, our, they are knowing about us. They're knowing that there's a group of people here that appreciate the neighborhood, care about the neighborhood, want to invest in the neighborhood. So I want to give, give you a phrase, and it's an exciting one. We are becoming dot, dot, dot. I don't have a, that's not a fill in the blank. We are becoming through different rhythms and practices and things that we have gone out of our comfort zone to do, we are becoming something. We've been planted, and we've received sunlight, and we've received rain, and we've received warmth, and we're growing into something. We are becoming something. And so to wrap up our series on contentment, to pivot us towards Advent and beyond, I want to, um, I'd like to read a scripture, and then we're going to look at a chart together um, to do all of that. We're going to celebrate the past, acknowledging that good and bad things have happened in the past. Not, not good and bad. Things worth celebrating and things worth... Uh, mourning and lamenting. Those are healthier things than just good or bad. 
in my opinion. Um, but then also pivot towards this, this new season, this, this Advent season where we enter into the Christian calendar, which we'll talk at length about in, in a couple minutes here. But this whole series that we've been in, The Path of Contentment, has been centered around the audacious Apostle Paul, who says in Philippians that he has learned the secret of being content in any and all circumstances. And this has been like a seven-week journey of us talking about different things that all are framed around this idea of contentment. Um, If you were to consider the phrase, any and all circumstances, and then ask the question, do I even think it's possible to experience contentment in any and all circumstances? That's where we start. And if there's even an ounce of doubt, an ounce of no, then hopefully this series was helpful for you. The first week, we talked about freedom versus responsibility. We talked about how everything is permissible, anything is able to be done, but not everything is beneficial. There are freedoms afforded to us, but executing those freedoms, all of those freedoms, might not be the best thing. We, we see this in the garden with the first two humans. You can eat from any tree in the garden. I wouldn't eat from that one. <laughs> God gives us a framework. He knows what's best for us. And there are freedoms, but at the same time, there are restrictions. And I would say that that is love. Just like anyone who has raised a child in this room, either your own or someone else's. Um, You could touch the hot stove, but I wouldn't, right? It's just those simple things. Um, There is is love in freedom with restriction. Everything is permissible. Not everything's beneficial. We looked at the Beatitudes. This is Matthew chapter 5, the opening of Jesus's, what we call his Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom in heaven. And he goes through this list of people that he calls blessed. And so we ask the question, what does it really mean to be blessed? And the conclusions that we came to that week, and and that uh, that, that message is online, if you wanted to go back and listen. The, The conclusions that we came to are that blessing does not begin with anything in the physical, the the stuff, the the possessions, the things. It we what we learned is that it begins in the mind. For example, when Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, Jesus is saying, Blessed are those who are so aware of the injustice around them. That doesn't require a, a, a checkbook. That that doesn't require a Mercedes. That doesn't require a big house. Blessed are those who are so in tune with the Spirit that they recognize the injustice around them. They're going to be comforted. Blessed are the peacemakers. You don't need a bunch of money to be a peacemaker. So when we say that the gospel is good news to the poor, this is exactly the kinds of things that we're talking about. Is, um, hey, everyone's invited. Everyone can, can live this out. Last three weeks, you've heard, you've heard other voices, and I hope you've appreciated Taylor and Pastor Ty. I really hope that you have. Um, helping us talk about the importance of two different things, the importance of Sabbath, the importance of 
um, this idea that your rest impacts others. <laughs> that when you rest or don't rest, other people experience the benefits or not the benefits. Um, also, this idea of trusting God when we are not working, he still is. And that we are to be seeking justice. And then Pastor Ty talked about the importance of knowing yourself, knowing how you're wired and how others are wired. And we talked about this thing called the Enneagram. And it's, it really sparked a lot of conversation, which was exciting. And did anyone happen to take an online test over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, a couple of hands. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Um, once again, and good for you, because that's what we've been talking about is this importance of how am I wired? And, and not to say that, oh, I wish I was like this, but what are the strengths that I can live into? And it helps us know about others as well, which is a good thing. So this morning, I want to read the greatest commandment. Many of us probably all know it, and it pops up in a couple of the different gospel accounts. But there are multiple times where Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he gives them an answer. So if you'd like to follow along this morning, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. There are Bibles on all of your tables. If you wanted to use one of those Bibles, we're going to be on page 1,579. 1,579. If you're using one of the Bibles on the table, if not, using another one or, or a, some kind of mobile device, we're going to be in Mark, chapter 12, starting at verse 28. Give you a second to turn there. Mark chapter 12, starting at verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard a debate. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all of the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I'll stop that right there for just a second. That phrase that he just said, we see in the book of Deuteronomy. This is an ancient opening prayer for the Israelites. So this was a phrase that was heard millions of times over. And so what Jesus is doing by using that language is he is pulling from tradition. And he's saying generation after generation has been opening their prayers with this phrase. And we pull from that and we use that because this is important. But notice that he adds to it. This is an example of Jesus being the fulfillment of the law. Where he uses tradition but he adds to where he takes what was and adds to it to fulfill it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So in this answer to the question, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus is saying a few important things. I'd like to give you those things. There's three. Loving God well 
requires our whole selves. Loving God well requires our whole selves, heart, soul, mind, strength. Heart, soul, mind, strength. Loving God well requires our whole selves. Here's the second thing that Jesus is saying in this answer of what is the greatest commandment. He's also saying that we are relational beings. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God. Love yourself. <laughs> Love others. There is relationship. There is unity. There is multiple. He doesn't just say, and, and I think it would be wise of us to really sink into this idea that he doesn't just say, love God. He says, love God, but he doesn't just end there. He immediately connects our loving God with our loving one another. We are wired as relational beings. And so we're called to be a relational people. The third thing that's being said here, and it's being said here, but we also draw from Genesis chapter 1, where, where God is creating man and woman in his image, where God is speaking to himself. <laughs> um, he says, let us create mankind in our image. God is relational within Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is a Trinitarian God that we're talking about. He creates us to live in relationship with one another. And what we learn here is that we experience human flourishing when our whole selves are healthily engaged with our whole lives. I'm going to repeat that. We're talking about human flourishing. We're talking about how we are wired, how we are designed. We experience human flourishing when our whole selves, heart, soul, mind, strength, are healthily engaging with our whole lives, God, self, others, creation. God, higher power, our Lord, our creator, self, you, <laughs> Others, neighbors, co-workers, friends, family, relatives, church family. And creation, the work that we do, whether it is work that we get paid for or work that we don't get paid for, we're all doing something. We're tending a home, we're raising children, we're doing something at a place, and we do get paid for that, or we don't get paid for that, or whatever else. And then as we engage with the physical world around us, we experience human flourishing when our whole selves are engaging healthily with our whole lives. There is a chart on your table. Uh, there, there are two table guides. Hopefully, um, you can share those just, just by sight with a few others around you. I read out of a book a few weeks ago called Becoming Whole. Uh, these are, this is a book written by a guy named Brian and another guy named Kelly. And the two of them wrote a book that has, really is a lovely fusion of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what it means to engage with 
people living in poverty. And I read out of this book a few weeks ago um, from a passage that essentially says that we need to completely reframe what blessing is. is because here's the deal is we have this picture of what blessing is and it begins with material. And so our poverty alleviation efforts begin with the material. Well, if you're poor, then, then surely you just must need stuff and then you won't be poor and you'll be happy just like me. And so what Brian and Kelly do in this book is essentially say, hey, um, let's consider the fact that America is as depressed as it's ever been, <laughs> feels as lonely as it has ever felt, and at the same exact time is as rich as it ever has been across the population. So it's an interesting thing because poverty alleviation efforts are statistically on paper working. The number of people worldwide that are living on less than $1.90 a day is decreasing, meaning that there are more and more people over time that are living on more than $1.90 per day. And a lot of those poverty alleviation efforts are models that are formed in this country, which once again is super unhappy. <laughs> and so a couple weeks ago, I read a passage that says, why would we want, this is, this is the author's language, why would we want to turn Kenya into the suburbs? And why would we want to turn our, our urban neglected neighborhoods into the big metropolitan cities that have all of the nice things and the shiny things. The, the author makes the point essentially that we're trying to fit people into boxes that they're not designed to be in. We don't, we don't fit into these boxes as people. And so he presents to us that chart. The middle is us, the middle. So when we just read heart, soul, mind, strength, and when you see the words mind, affections, will, and body, people would say, academics would say, that we as people are beings that are primarily driven by mind, affections, or desires, our will, meaning our ambitions, and our body, what we are experiencing in the physical realm and the emotional realm and the spiritual realm. And their contention is that if all of those things are aligned in healthy ways with God, self, others, and creation, that we are finding ourselves in the sweet spot to how we were originally designed in the first place. So if I could read a, an excerpt from this book, Becoming Whole, it's a different one than the one I read a couple weeks ago. Because the heart is at the center of the human being, humans are necessarily relational creatures. Love must be expressed toward someone or something. As creatures who reflect the triune God, human beings are hardwired for relationship. We are made to be lovers. We are not created to live as autonomous individuals, independent or by ourselves. In fact, when humans live in isolation from others, the effects are devastating. 
theologians regularly point to four fundamental human relationships emphasized in Scripture. Relationships with God, relationships with self, relationship with others, and the rest of creation. The relationship with God is central, and it is the foundation for the other three. Part of the way that we love God and experience his love is in our relationships with self, others, and creation. I'm going to repeat that. That's, that's a big one. Part of the way that we experience God's love and love God is in our relationships with self, others, and the rest of creation. Meaning, here's, here's another way to say that. If you are not finding yourselves in loving relationships with yourself, with others, and creation, then there is more for you to experience. That, that's what that's saying. That there is stuff that you are missing when you are not in a healthy relationship with creation. There's stuff that you're missing when you're not in a re- healthy relationship with others and with yourself. When we hold our little girl's hand as we walk along the beach, for example, we express the love of our Heavenly Father to her and experience His love back in her adoring eyes. I love that picture, by that, that image is beautiful. Our relationship to God is integral to how we experience the other three relationships. It's important to understand that the nature of these relationships is not arbitrary. God has designed them to work in a certain way. And humans only flourish when we experience these relationships the way that God intended. Further, these four relationships are highly integrated with a person's body and soul so that the human being is a mind, affections, will, body, relational creature. Oh, that's a lot. A lot of footnotes there that we glossed over too. As a Christian, the author, the authors are Christians. Their perspective here is in regards to healthy and effective poverty alleviation efforts. That is to say that when we are engaging with families in poverty, our aim is to bring these healthy areas in life to increase them in health. So Brian was in Peoria a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Peoria Rescue Ministries, Dream Center Peoria, and Southside Mission partnered together to put on a poverty conference. And Brian, who wrote this book, um, was here in Peoria. And the, the people who ran the conference gave him like three and a half hours, and he talked the whole time. And I had a really good time, and, and I loved it. And um, I actually had the incredible privilege to get lunch with him after, like sitting across, like there was like 10 people, but it was me and him. Like I was across the table from him, and I took advantage of it um, because I've been reading his book, and I have a lot of questions. Um, and being at the Dream Center and this church, it's an interesting thing. So the thesis of the book, once again, is we need to consider how unhealthy we are as a nation, in how we are setting our goals and metrics of success when we are working with people in poverty. We've talked about that, is this idea that, hey, we're not well, why are we trying to make people like us? And I looked at him and I said, Brian, 
It's the same story about the church. He says, you're, you're talking about, you know, this, this is what I say to him. I said, you're talking about the country. You're talking about people in poverty who live in this country. And, and we can't just elevate them to pop culture because pop culture is unhealthy. I said, it's the same thing with the church. He goes, what are you talking about? And I said, I said, Brian, we, we've got people in our churches who don't have healthy relationships with one another. I said, we've got people in our churches who don't know what it means to worship the Lord. We've got people in our church, and just big capital C church. And I said, and yet our biggest barometer of success is when there's just more people here than there were last week. So we're, we're, trying to, we're trying to form people into our unhealth just the same. So he's a 6'10 Dutchman, is this Brian guy. Like sitting down, he is towering over me. And he goes, you're absolutely right. And he starts laughing because he said, like, I wish I would have seen that. Because <laughs> it's the same exact crossover. We're trying to put people in a cultural box that's broken and... If we as the church don't go back to square one, if we don't go back to garden and greatest commandment, then we are going to end up trying to form people like us all the while. We don't have it all together. We're not even close. So I want to suggest something um, this morning. I want to suggest that everyone on the planet worships something. What I mean by that is that we are all being shaped. Every single one of us is being shaped by fill in the blank. For the good or for the bad, right? Those who worship Yahweh, the creator of heaven and earth, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, the God and Father of Jesus Christ, the true and living God who is Father Son, and Holy Spirit. If we're going to worship that God, then our biggest and grandest desire should be the pursuit of his original design for us. It's got to be. Which is loving God, but it is also loving self and others and creation. So we should be shaped by what God wants us to be shaped by. We should be shaped by what God wants us to be shaped by. So, we are entering into um, a really exciting time of year. Chris, could you bring, I've got a chart. Yes, thank you, sir. So, you may or may not be familiar with the Christian calendar or the Christian liturgical year. But here is what looks to be probably the most confusing chart. It's actually one of the easier ways to digest what's going on. So in the inner ring, we have the months. Um, January is 10 o'clock. Eh, 11 o'clock. 10.30. And no, so February, March, April, May. Okay, so we got that. The top half of this chart, starting at 9, 10, 
is Advent. We all see Advent? Yes and amen? And we see December is, is by Advent. And then on the outer ring is the word anticipation. Advent being a season of anticipating the king who is going to come and be born among us and dwell among us. And then we have Christmas, which uh, Christmas at Reachway is going to be whatever the Sunday before the 25th is. Does anyone happen to know that off the top of their head? 22nd? So Christmas at Reachway, we're going to talk about the incarnation, is the 22nd of December. And then we have Epiphany uh, by, by January and February up there. Epiphany, so some of you may have heard that word to be synonymous with a light bulb moment. A moment. The light bulb went off, ding. Uh, I had an epiphany, right? I had this vision, whatever. So Epiphany is the season where we focus on how Christ is revealed to us. We're going to be looking at passages about his parables and his miracles where we really get a big picture of who is Christ. That's what the season of Epiphany is all about, where he is revealed to us. And then over here in March and April, we have Lent. This is the 40 days leading up to Easter, where we focus on the crucifixion, where we focus on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, so we kind of hold those two things in, in balance. We, we hold his sacrifice and his love towards us, but then we also hold what that needs to be calling us towards as well. And then Easter, we celebrate the resurrection and what is now made possible for us because of the empty tomb and how life can be made new, which is incredible. Um, and then we, uh, during Pentecost, which is just a couple of weeks, we celebrate the ascension when God, um, or when Jesus ascends into heaven, he, he fills the entire cosmos with himself. And the church is born, and he sends the Holy Spirit, and, and it's, like, awesome. And then the, the bottom half there is called ordinary time. Uh, this is where... So the, the reason, so all these colors mean something. We're going to talk about all these colors as we journey together. Ordinary time is, is green because it symbols this time of uh, growth. Yeah, it's, oh, it's good. Ooh, it's good. Okay. <laughs> oh, it's so ordinary. But it's good. What's that? No, well, you can preach too. You don't need to show. Yeah, the ordinary is extraordinary. Yes, sister. Yes. Yes and amen. That's the mother of a pastor. Um, all right, Chris, we can take that down. It's good stuff. So that's what the next several months are going to look like. And uh, it all starts next week. And I'm really excited for next week. First Sunday of Advent. Um, but from now until a few weeks after Easter... We are going to be locked in on the story of Jesus. Locked in. 
there's not another thing worth talking about. We're going to be locked in on his life and the implications of his entire life, starting with before he arrived and the implications of what was going on then, what was prophesied, and how his, his birth and his life and his death and his descension and his ascension, the implications of that for us. And what I want you to know is that we are all part of the story of God. And so from now until Easter and beyond, what we are going to do is continue to strive to grow intentionally as a community, improving our relationship with God, ourselves, others, and the created world around us. And we are going to just lock arms and do it. So I want to invite you into that. And I also want to say that if there is someone in your life that God has maybe put on your heart um, who just needs to be able to reimagine church, Be an inviter for Sunday, December 1st, seven days from today. Be a bringer. Be an inviter. Um, it's it's going to be an interesting thing. We are going to, we're going to look, and we do now look, really old and ancient. I'm not talking about y'all. I'm talking about like, <laughs> y'all are old. I'm kidding, obviously. When we do things like read prayers out loud together, that's something that Christians have been doing for like ever, right? But then we also have round tables in the sanctuary and we talk halfway through the sermon. So we look old and beyond at the same time. That's church reimagined, is to not toss out the past but not be fearful of the future. And so if you have someone in your life that could use an opportunity to reimagine church, may I suggest the 14-month-old Reachway Church on 1203 Northeast Perry. Um, so next week, um, the church is going to be decorated, and that'll be beautiful. And there are going to be colors you notice the different colors on that wheel earlier. There's going to be colors that inform some of the things that we talk about. Um, we're also, I'm, I'm most excited for this, um, we're going to be having a light breakfast together every Sunday morning. Because something beautiful happens when you uh, share food. Yeah. So here's the plug. If you uh, just must bake good and delicious breakfast food for your church family, um, if you could let my wife, Ty, know, um, we would like to have uh, some, some breakfast food here every Sunday morning, right? It's just going to be a rhythm for us. And also want to invite you, if you can and are able, to show up around 930 and enjoy that food with one another.
and get a cup of coffee or some hot chocolate and have some, some goodies and, and stuff like that. So that's going to be something we're going to start as well next week. And, and keep, this, keep the goal in front. Keep the why in front. We desire to, to continue to live in healthy engagement with God, ourselves, one another, and creation. And I think what we are working towards as a church is really going to be able to do that. And the things that we're working forward towards are more and more natural as, as time goes on. Um, I'm really, really excited about stuff when I talk a long time. <laughs> so thanks for giving me grace because I just want to be sure that we're all on the same page. If you haven't already, on the back table, our new friend, the back table, uh, there are a couple more devotionals for the Advent season. These are daily devotionals where there are a couple of passages of Scripture that you can look up and read. There's a short thought from the authors, and there are discussion questions that you can engage with um, and places to fill in those answers in this book. This is every... This is stuff for you for every single day between December 1st and Christmas. It's an, it's an Advent daily devotional. If you haven't yet grabbed one, would really encourage you to do so. And if you're a morning quiet time person, also keep in mind that before you would arrive to Reachway next week, you would already have a devotional that you could do. It begins Sunday, December 1st. So just have those things in mind as well. Um, but these, the, the thoughts and, and scriptures and ideas from this devotional is, is very much going to drive um, our content as a church over the next couple of months, or next couple of weeks, rather. So please be sure to grab, grab one of those on, on, the, on your way out if you haven't already done so. Okay. I don't think I'm forgetting anything, which is a really nice feeling, because um, it's one that I don't feel often. Um, so, for the sake of time, um, I, I would encourage you to, to perhaps have some discussion amongst your household or in your, in your moments of chair time over the next week. Um, question that we always asked is, hey, what, what stuck out to you? What are you hearing? Like, what are you hearing? What is, what is God saying to you? And then the follow-up question we ask is, what are you going to do about it? right? Um, we, we don't want to sit with these things. If, if God is living and active, and if he's actively speaking to us, then surely those are things that we're hearing that, so that we can put into practice. And so over the next week, consider what you heard this morning. What did God say to you this morning? And then create an action step. What am I going to do about it? Um, and, and who's going to be praying for me and holding me accountable? So I would encourage you to share those things with someone as well. But uh, we are going to respond uh, with with communion. I would invite Tom and Desiree to, to join me up here. They're going to lead us in a final song as, as we respond.